As it is 10 o'clock, I started the recording and we'll uh, open the public briefing. Welcome to the public briefing on the proposed tax increment financing or TIF in Kirkland. TIF is designed to fund infrastructure improvements for the Northeast 85th Street Station area. You may be aware that the Washington State Department of Transportation, or WASDOT, is redesigning and will be replacing the I-405 Northeast 85th Street interchange to include an inline bus rapid transit station. This is a catalyst to the redevelopment and growth of this area. Available for reference on the city's website are the June 28, 2022 Kirkland City Council adoption of the plan for the Northeast 85th Street station area, the adoption of the plan and phase one legislative amendments paves the way for a walk up, walkable, equitable, sustainable, and complete transit-oriented neighborhood. Also available for reference is the council briefing on tax increment financing at the study session on August 3, 2022. The project analysis report can, uh, uh, can be found on the city's website with the public briefings announcement. This is the second of two required public briefings, our presenters are Bob Stowe from Stowe Development and Strategies and Morgan Shook from Econ Northwest. They will present information and answer questions on the tax increment financing details. Following the presentation, the public can provide comments or ask questions. Turning it over to you, Bob. Thank you, Michael. Could you allow me to share my screen? I don't see that option. You have that now. Thank you. Bob, I don't hear you. I think you may be muted. Sorry, thank you. <laughs> so our agenda today is to give you a brief overview of, of TIF, the background, the process um, as of to date, um, a TIF, uh, an overview of the legislation and really focus on the project analysis summary, which includes the infrastructure needs, the proposed tax increment area boundary, levy, the city's debt capacity, private development scenarios, TIF revenue, additional taxes, jobs, the AV growth, um, talk about debt service, some entering financing scenarios, and then really kind of a bottom line. And that's where the bulk of our presentation is going to be, is focusing again on the project analysis that was completed um, for the city's uh, tax increment financing uh, project. And so in terms of a background and process, in 2021, the state legislature authorized uh, tax increment financing. Um, it was uh, uh, Legislative Bill 1189 authorized um, tax increment financing. It's now codified as Chapter 39.114, uh, the Revised Code of Washington. Um, in June of 2022, this, the stationary plan was adopted by the Kirkland City Council, uh, which had envisioned uh, tax increment financing as a possible funding source. And then uh, a couple of months later, the City Council had a discussion about potential tax increment area the public improvements, the potential tax increment financing revenues, and then authorized preparation of the project analysis that we're gonna be reviewing today. Um, also that same year, there's some early outreach performed by the city uh, with King County Assessor and Treasurer's Office about the proposed 
uh, tax increment area and the logistics associated with collecting and distributing revenue. In uh, March of 2023, the project analysis was submitted to the state at trade treasurer for their review. The state treasurer has since reviewed uh, the city's project analysis, which is required by law, and had provided an opinion and recommendation that it meets the, the conditions of the law. And then on uh, for uh, this month, we've held one public briefing last week, and this is our second public briefing on the proposed um, tax increment area. This is a basic model associated uh, with tax increment financing, whether it exists in Washington state or any other state um, in, in the nation. Um, the model is, is based on it's the incremental taxes that get redistributed back to the sponsoring entity who forms the tax increment area because it's it's those infrastructure improvements that are causing the development in the first place. What's different about Washington's tax increment financing law is that it was meant to be impact neutral on all the, the, the participating taxing districts in that uh, they would continue to receive the same existing tax base that they had relied upon in the past underneath the, the Washington state's property tax law in addition to the, the new construction and the 1% um, increase. Um, and it also excludes the state's property tax as well as uh, property taxes um, associated with uh, schools. So a quick overview of tax increment financing. It's available to three entities in the state today, the cities, counties, and, and ports. It's a powerful economic development tool. It's really designed for a project specific rather than simply um, you put infrastructure improvements in and hope that development will occur because uh, the debt that's issued for these infrastructure improvements are going to be um, uh, paid for by the entity regardless of whether or not uh, development actually occurs. Um, in each tax increment financing area, um, our tax increment area, there's a foundational element, uh, but for the public investment that the development would not occur. And so we've established a strong nexus between the, the proposed public improvements, which I'll discuss in a moment, and the uh, eventual development that will come about as a result of those improvements. And of course, the development um, and infrastructure improvements would result in new assessed value being created in the area, which generates uh, the, the, of course, the, the type of desired development, as well as um, increased uh, jobs, uh, both in the short and long term. And then taxes, it's the incremental taxes from those um, developments, particularly property tax, that would pay for the infrastructure investment uh, by the sponsor and entity. And although it's called, um, it's in the name of the title, it's called tax, uh, tax increment financing. It's not a new tax. It's simply applying the existing levies um, that are existing today. Um, at least a portion of them, and redistributing those revenues, property tax revenues, back to the entity that formed the tax increment area. A uh, couple of key elements um, in order for an entity to uh, form a tax increment area, the city, county, or port. In this case, the city would have to designate the area uh, by ordinance, would have to also identify the public improvements that were going to be financed with the tax increment revenues, and whether or not bonds would be issued. Some limitations include that no more than two active uh, tax increment areas can be formed at any one time. They cannot overlap, and they may not exceed more than $200 million of assessed valuation at the time that the ordinance is adopted, or 20% of the total assessed valuation of the, of the sponsoring entity, whichever is less. Uh, the city could not add or cannot add any additional public improvements um, or change the boundary after the ordinance is adopted. Um, the city must also include a deadline as to when the public improvements would be initiated, and that's generally five years 
um, unless good cause can be shown um, that additional time is necessary after the ordinance is adopted to construct the public improvements. The local government may also only receive the revenues um, of the amount that is necessary to support the infrastructure improvements. Um, so if debt is issued for 20 years, um, the, the entity can only receive that amount that's necessary to support their debt service for any one year. And then the tax increment area must be expired at the end of that, of that bond period, that term of the bonds of 20 years. And in no cases can a local government um, have a tax increment area that exists longer than 25 years. And so these are the three infrastructure uh, projects that have been identified by the city of Kirkland and that we believe um, exists a strong nexus between them and the proposed development. Um, they include uh, Northeast 85th Street and um, Interstate 405 sewer main capacity enhancements. Um, and this would support the build out capacity in the station area. It's a new sewer line alignment um, is needed uh, to cross I-405 along the Northeast 90th Street and to improve the existing sewer line on the Northeast 87th Street. The next project is Forb Lakes uh, Park Development. It's proposed to have park amenities serving the, the growing population of the station area um, and includes such amenities as a boardwalk, open space, stormwater retention and treatment, um, although the park's not yet master planned, um, but it may also include some uh, property acquisition. And then finally is some roadway improvements in order to support the full development of the Northeast 85th Street Station. 124th Avenue will need to be widened to five lanes and provide for raised, um, which would be separated from the street uh, sidewalk and protected bike lanes and improve, excuse me, and rather improved sidewalks from Northeast 85th Street through the Northeast 90th Street intersection. And so as development is planned and is ready to move forward based on market conditions, the city may add um, or, or modify the specific infrastructure improvements as, um, as to their timing um, that will be necessary to encourage the private development in order to accomplish the, the stationary's plan. So in total, uh, these projects um, amount to $58 million. This is the tax increment area that, that the city is proposing as part of of, of its program um, and includes uh, 52 and a half acres and has an assessed valuation at the time that the ordinance would be adopted of $131 million. So well within the $200 million limitation of state law. This is the, the, the levy that would be applied to the tax increment area. You'll see there's a total levy of $8.71 per $1,000 of assessed valuation. But once you exclude the state property tax and then the other excess levies, um, the, the TIA levy would be $2.95 per 1,000 assessed valuation in, in 2022. So the slide that shows the city's debt capacity, um, sufficient debt capacity to, to, to issue the $58 million. Um, the city would have the ability to issue up to $434 million in non-voted debt after the proposed issuance of $58 million um, has been completed. So we looked at three different development scenarios um, to evaluate the potential revenues that could support infrastructure investments. The first is what we're calling the baseline, and this represents the full development and is the most aggressive uh, scenario to occur in the TIA. We then looked at a scenario that we simply called reduced, which includes the core development below, uh, plus one half of the development potential of the baseline development, um, excluding the Costco site. And the core development includes only development of the four most likely development parcels. 
This is a graphic of the baseline reduced in the core, as well as um, some charts below each of the graphics that indicate the total square footage, uh, whether it's office, retail, or, or multifamily. So in each of the private development uh, scenarios, um, the baseline, um, <clears throat> these are construction values, uh, would produce $2.7 billion um, in, in construction value, reduce $1.6 billion, and then the core $1.2 billion. And this is what drives the property tax revenues um, within the increment area. So as we look at uh, various discount rates for the baseline reduced in the core, uh, meant to uh, mirror the, the the likely interest rate the city may pay on debt, whether it's four and a half percent, five percent, or five and a half percent, depending upon when that debt is issued. Um, but looking at simply the discount rate of four and a half percent, the baseline uh, would enable seventy three million dollars um, worth of public improvements. The reduce would enable fifty four. A million dollars, almost $55 million available to support public improvements. And then the core would generate $48 million necessary to uh, support the public improvements. So the three different discount rates were modeled to evaluate the potential interest rate scenarios, again, uh, to estimate potential de debt that could be supported uh, by the proposed improvements. In addition to the property taxes that result from TIF, there are, there are also additional taxes that will be generated um, over a 25-year period. Similar to the slide um, I just shown, those were for 25-year um, totals, and, but there's other taxes, uh, sales taxes primarily on the construction, utility taxes, business licenses, and then state shared revenues. Um, under the reduced scenario, that would generate $68 million. Um, and under the core scenario, that would generate $57 million um, of additional taxes that could be utilized um, to support not only operational expenses, but also additional capital expenses. And these are all in 2022 dollars. We looked at the AV growth uh, with the public improvements and without the public improvements, or with or without TIF. And um, with no TIF, you see in 2028, um, the assessed value um, climbs slightly to $159 million. Um, then by year 2048, um, that climbs up to $1.3 billion or $1.1 billion dollars of AV, uh, significantly less than, than what it shows for under the reduced scenario of almost 3.6 billion in 2048 under the reduced scenario and in 2028 uh, starts off at 1.1 uh, billion. This is a uh, debt service schedule. Um, if, if there were level debt um, um, over, the, over the period of the term of the bond, um, if the city were to issue 18 million as uh, dispersed debt issuance uh, potentially in 2025, um, and then the remaining 40 million in 2028, subject again to development readiness and, and market um, um, indicators, um, and both of these would be at a four and a half percent interest rate. So issue one would be $1.3 million of annual uh, debt service, and then issue two um, would be $3 million of additional debt service. So, and you can see the combined amounts with a combined debt of 4.4. Uh, 4.5 million approximately. This is, uh, we've, we've we looked at a number of different scenarios for how the city could pay for the debt service and, and show where some interim financing would be necessary as the development stabilizes itself and is under construction. Um, there'll be some gaps between the, the revenue that's produced and the debt service that's necessary. And so in this scenario, we simply showed a split debt scenario of 18 million in 2025 and 40 million in 2027. 
and it produces five years of deficits that the city would need to, on an interim basis, uh, support until repaying itself back um, when when the when the project um, in later years uh, becomes built, um, and that's deficits of four point six million dollars. Our interim financing of four point six million dollars would be necessary. And there's a number of scenarios that, again, that I, I mentioned that we ran that included interest only, um, uh, uh, structuring the debt so it aligns with uh, the actual revenue that comes in. So there's a variety of methods the city could use um, to pay for for debt service um, over the over the term of the bond. But the bottom bottom line is that the envisioned stationary development um, would not be viable um, without the public improvements that have been identified um, by the city at 58 million. Again, there's a strong nexus between the proposed development and the proposed infrastructure. Um, there's sufficient resources uh, subject to some interim financing that would be necessary. Um, and when those developments occur that are available to pay for that infrastructure debt with the projected TIF revenues, um, there's no negative impacts to affordable housing. And in fact, much of the stationary plan um, was devoted to providing for affordable housing, no impacts to the local business community or local school district, and there are no local fire districts as that service is provided by the city eternally. And the stationary development um, will provide for significant jobs and investment into the local, local and regional economy. Uh, next steps, um, this today is our second public briefing. Uh, the council, um, the Kirkland City Council will have a, a, a tax increment area, tax increment financing update discussion, um, and we'll look at the proposed ordinance on May 2nd of 2023. And then on May 16th, they'll have a discussion with potential adoption of the tax increment area ordinance. And that includes um, my presentation, uh, Michael, will be available for, for questions. Thank you, Bob. I appreciate the presentation. Now is the time for those joining this webinar to ask questions or uh, to provide comments. If you would like to do so, please raise your hand and then I can uh, allow you to talk. I'll give you uh, a moment to, to raise your hand if you would like to say anything or ask questions. Um, it doesn't look like that we have any questions or comments for this, oh, there is one. Liz Hunt. Hello, Michael and others. Um, yeah, my, my first question would be, can you say a bit more about how it is clear that the development would not move forward without, uh, or would not be viable without these infrastructure improvements and it seems to me there is a difference in the answer to that question, whether you're talking about the sewer line, the park, and the widening of 124th. So is there any difference between those three particular items with regard to that question? Good, good, good question, Morgan. Um, you worked on the stationary plan, which included a lot of the, the background and analysis um, for the improvements that would be necessary um, to be viable. Can you speak to that question? I can add to it as well. Yeah, sure. Um, so Liz, great question. So the tax, the tax increment finance project is a, I would call it uh, a, a more or less direct outgrowth of the city station area plan. And in that plan, um, they really looked at a couple different scenarios as part of their SEPA analysis. Uh, one was really kind of the no action of 
of, of the growth that would be um, supported with existing development regulations and zoning and infrastructure investments, and then uh, a series of action alternatives that contemplated uh, changes in the zoning to allow more intense use of the land and commensurate with that more intense use of the land, the city did analysis on the public works side to apply its plans and policies, both on the transportation and park side to prescribe a set of, of projects that would be necessary to support that level of activity um, they were looking at. So, so all to say is, at the aggregate level, um, the station area plan is really taking a look at a set of projects um, uh, with that sort of increased um, zone capacity with the anticipation that it's going to have a lot more people living in houses and, and employees working at businesses in the area. So with respect to your sort of direct question around what is sort of the, uh, you know, relative sort of factoring of of the sort of uh, ability to support that per project. I don't think there's anything direct out of that um, to say, uh, you know, this, this project is uh, needs, you know, 20% 20, 20 of this project and 80% of this project in order to kind of make it catalyze. I think the way maybe hopefully that would be helpful to think about it in aggregate, the city has looked at the number of people and employees living in the area, particularly um, in this small small area and, and the projects that are most directly sort of necessary to support it and said, these given our plans and policies are the projects that um, um, uh, would need to be in place. So hopefully that that's helpful context in answering that question. Because um, it's, it's not a situation where it's like, I think you think of it as basically you have a greenfield site and you're building a road that connects it to the highway, right? Um, and it's mm -hmm. pretty direct in that fashion. Here, right, we have an infill, uh, you know, setting, right? You have existing uses in these areas, and the city is trying to sort of retrofit it to accommodate a whole level of increased capacity um, uh, that and and that needs that infrastructure in order to do that. Okay, well, I'm I'm actually very familiar with the stationary plan for the last three years. I've read every single document, so I know what you're talking about with the SEPA and all of all the infill and projects and so forth. Um, but and I can see how it would be hard to put in a sewer line if you taxed each little project as it came along. I mean, you, that's not a great way to build a sewer line. I get that. Um, but I guess my bigger questions were related to the, you know, the park, which is super, you know, parks are super important and, you know, mobility through this area is also super important. Um, and I guess there's a lot of transportation needs. And so for this to support this area. And so is 124th really the only one? Um, and is that the most important need there for transportation improvements? Um, so lots of questions around this particular topic. <laughs> and Michael, I don't know if there's a better answer coming from the city's public works and parks department around sort of the selection of those projects specifically. 
I can gather some information and, and send that to you, Liz. On, on the first briefing, we had uh, a similar question on the transportation, why 124th and not 85th? And um, I have an answer from our transportation manager, which I can send you. And there are projects that will be done along 85th and some developer um, uh, provided projects. And so I, I can I can give you some more information on that as well. Okay, thank you. Appreciate the question. Any other comments or questions? Um, anybody uh, who is in, in this meeting can can also email me directly or call me. Um, my contact information is on the city's website. So uh, thank you for attending and thank you, um, Morgan and Bob, for the presentation. Cool. This, concludes, this concludes our presentation, our briefing. Thank you.